We are here for After the Snow again this week. I'm your co-host, Dave Mays, alongside me every week. We've been putting it in. Freeway Rick Ross. Yes, yes. What's up, Dave? Rick, Rick, what's going on, man? Man, just, you know, rolling, man. Rolling, 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 you know. Enjoying I life. I see it, man. I was I was happy to see um, you post some of your new uh, gym uh, routines that you're doing, on getting in on the weights and, and everything in there. That was a oh, good look. Man. Yeah, my stomach got too big, man. You know, when I when I left prison, Dave, I would have seven percent fat. I was ripped up. You know, the, some people say it was like a washboard, and uh, you know, now it look like I'm pregnant. So, you know, I said, right. you know, Rick, you you put it off long enough. Uh, let's get back in the gym, make some time. So, you know, I'm trying to do. I, you know, I've been doing like 20, 30 minutes a day, maybe forty sometimes. You know, uh, yeah gradually you know working my way back in you know because i want to be fit you know i want to i want to go to the swim parties and take my shirt off (laughs) (laughs) i feel you i've been doing the same thing man i've been hitting the gym pretty regularly um last few years and um still got a lot of work to do still at it but yeah it's 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 a good thing to yeah i'm gonna go today after i finish after we finish with the podcast that's exactly where i'm going is, is to the gym get me a little bit in uh, my boy want to take me up to uh, Stone Mountain. You know, I'm in Georgia today. Okay, I heard. I heard you in in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I just miss you, man. We be we be but just missing each other, man. Right. We, we probably right. put past each other in the air just last night. Right. I left Atlanta yesterday in the afternoon. Um, I was down there shooting new shows with Funny Marco for the Cornbread TV that everybody's loving out here. Um, and yeah, I flew back to Chicago yesterday while you were on your way in uh, to Atlanta. Yeah, that Marco series gonna be big, man. Yeah, I think so, man. He's 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 a talent, man. I love I love how he does his thing, what he does, and I'm just excited for for him and and for the the response that we're getting to that Cornbread TV so far. And Bill gonna be big too. Right on yeah. Hollywood Boulevard, man. That thing is like all windows. That was yeah. crazy last week, man. We had a crazy week last week. Right, right. You know, we made TMZ for top billing with Bill Bellamy already. Uh, we haven't even launched. The show's going to launch in a couple more weeks. Uh, that's the name of it, top billing with Bill Bellamy. But, yeah, we uh, we had the TMZ tour buses pull up uh, while, he was, while, <laughs> while he was with T.I. John Sally, Too Short. Yeah. All in, huh, you know what I'm saying? That was crazy. All in the same building. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, things are things are looking good for for Breakbeat right now. We got a lot of on the plate, but a lot of things are looking good, man. So uh, you know, and then you and I got got a lot of other projects that we keep talking about. So we're gonna have to. The highlight though for me was me, you, and Brett being together, man. I, I thought that was the dopest show we did so far. Um, Definitely. I don't was. know what everybody else thinks, but I thought it was dope. And I, I I hope that that we can do it again soon because it, it was you know for me it was just the the most amazing show that we did so far, and uh, yeah. I can't wait till we uh, get to sit in a room like that again and and uh, yeah anyone that, anyone that missed it that was last week's episode of of after the snow first time we were all together in L A but I think you know that could happen more often um, you know with us doing the Bill Bellamy show out there we're gonna probably be doing shows once a week with him 
Um, so, you know, maybe we can just set it up where we can do the podcast uh, while we're all, you know, while Brett and I are in L.A. with you. So um, that would be that'd be amazing. Shout out to Brett, our, uh, our other co-host, Brett Jeffries. We miss you already. Yes, yes. Shout out to Brett. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, uh, I thought that was one of the most amazing shows we did. And, and, you know, even though all the other people was there for me, my highlight of the week was uh, was that right there, man. Just, uh, you know, being there. Dope. That's good to hear, man. And I'm on my way to St. Louis, too. You know, we got a fight this weekend in St. Louis. You know, I'll be down there promoting fights and uh, uh, anybody in okay. St. Louis, hit me up, come out, support. The Lou. Support. Yeah, the Lou, definitely. Uh, they're, they're celebrating their, their guy, Jason Tatum, right now, who's doing his thing for the Boston Celtics, who went up went up two to one uh, last night in the series. So Yeah, I, th- I thought Golden State was going to have an easy time with them, man, but – uh, those, I, guess, those boys, I guess when you boys, get at that level, ain't nothing easy. You know, those boys are tough, yeah, between Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, but they got some guys around them, too, uh, that are, are doing their thing. Marcus Smart, um, the Williamses, those guys are killing them. So we'll see. I'm sure Golden State going to regroup. Should be a good game. Um, what's the next one? Maybe tomorrow? Yeah, Something yeah. Like Golden that. State yeah. got to try to get that home court advantage back. Exactly. Exactly. They lost home court advantage the first night, so you know they they are, they got an uphill battle now. Yeah, Nelly performed last night at the Boston, uh, in Boston at the game at halftime. You know he's from St. Louis, of course, so he, I guess, him and Jason Tatum hooked that up. They oh, that was be, dope. Yeah, yeah, they seem to be friends. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, yeah. So, um, man, you ready to get into this show, man? Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's do what we do. Let's talk about this week's episode of, of Snowfall. And of course, we're back at season one. Uh, we're now um, talking about episode six of season one. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a it's an interesting episode. Things are, you know, moving along um, with our main, you know, storylines following, you know, Franklin following uh also and Lucia and of course, you know, Teddy and Alejandro and uh, all the other characters that come into play uh, on those, those main characters kind of uh, journeys that we're watching so far. Um, so, yeah, I think the first thing we see, uh, well, one of the first things we see is um, uh, Franklin counting the money out with his boys at the crib. They're going crazy, uh, throwing the money all over the place and everything. And, uh, of course, the girl next door, Melody, pops up. And, you know, she's already in the know about what's going on and everything. But uh, everybody wants to try using uh, the product. And yeah, Frank- man. And, and that, that was one of the things that, that, that stood out to me, you know, uh, with, with, with my crew, when I started, uh, when I started, I'd already been kind of like educated on about using, you know, because, I, you know, some of the pimps have been telling me, you know, whatever you do, don't use, don't use. If you don't use, you'll get rich. And, and those things kind of stuck in my mind. But for my boys, they didn't get the same type of lessons that I got. They got it from me. You know, where I was telling them, man, don't use, don't use. And, um, uh, you know, lo and behold, behind my back, 
they had been been using and and it took a while you know it take a while before you can discover that somebody's been using cocaine you know it's not uh, it don't have the obvious signs that 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 some of the other drugs might have you know where you can just straight see right off the bat that that uh that they are already using drugs so um his guys was acting a little weird and i guess uh franklin picked up on it and uh yeah. he questioned them in there about them using uh, none of them admitted it, but uh, something was going on with them. Definitely, definitely. Did you, did you, you know? So, did you have like rules with people like like that that they couldn't do it, or you just had to try to monitor well, you know, it? You know, Dave. When I started, I was young. You know, I don't, I don't know nothing about rules. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, cocaine to me was totally new. You know, yeah. I didn't, you know. When I first got a hold of cocaine, I didn't even know if it was real cocaine or not. You know, my first my first job was to figure out was it real? Mm. You know, was it really cocaine mm. or, or or some baby powder? So right. uh, uh, here I am learning by trial and error. So you know, uh, I, I had enough sense to tell my guys not to use, but you know, I never sit down. And had a meeting with them. I didn't start having meetings with my guys a couple years after I had been in the business for a while, you know. Mm. So as far as sitting them down and telling them, hey, you can't use. If you use, you're going to get fired. No, I didn't do that. It was more like, man, um, TQ them said, don't use this stuff. Even though TQ used, but he knew enough about it to tell me not to use. You know, he knew that it was holding him down from, from his goals. Uh, um, and several people told me that. So that always stuck in the back of my mind. Uh, even, even though, you know, I tried it, I tried it. Uh, um, I tried it for about a week, you know, I went about a week straight, maybe two weeks, you know, uh, I was snorting and then I, we started smoking, uh, 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 the weed and primos, but I got sick at the end of the, of the, of the whatever the period was, that I went through it, I got sick, lucky for me. And uh, I realized that I could never do it again. When I started, I had about, when I started doing this, I think I had about maybe 3000 close to $4,000. And when I caught myself, I think I was down to about three or $400. So I, I also saw that, you know, using and the money didn't go together. They didn't go hand in hand. So I was able to quit, uh, I was able to quit uh, right after that period. And I vowed to myself, you know, that I would never, uh, that I would never use again. Was was there, was there something that happened or what was the transition point to where you started to get a little more organized? Like you said, the first couple of years, it wasn't that organized, but then you started having meetings and implementing structure. What, What, was there something that precipitated that? Well, you know, once, once you start having money, you know, money buys knowledge. You know, it buys you friends uh, with information. And, and, and so I started to meet people that were more organized, you know, more uh, 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 more business savvy. And and I just started learning from them, you know, what they were doing in their businesses and how they organized their businesses. But but my business was really ragtail from the beginning. You know, you, you're talking about, um, you know, 19, 20 year old kid. Uh, never read a book, you know, didn't watch the news, you know, probably my favorite uh, shows on TV at that time probably was cartoons and, and Westerns. Uh, 
Uh, so my 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 knowledge of business was very limited, even though I I had the desire to be a businessman. You know, uh, um, I, I used to volunteer every summer to go to Texas to work with my uncles. You know, in 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 the country, and they did brutal work. So I guess I kind of got part of my work ethic from 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 around them. You know, seeing how hard they went. And and maybe some of my organizing skills, too, even though uh, they weren't real, real organized, you know. Um, but they were the most organized people that, that I'd ever been around. Let me say that. So I, I was going to say this kind of question topic to later in the show, but you're already kind of getting into some of the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, so let's get into it. You know, one of the things I'm looking at with this episode and what's happened is, you know, Franklin is still at it and look at everything he's he's been through, you know, getting beat up and robbed. Uh, he gets beat up again in this episode. You know, he's standing in front of a crazy Israeli guy, you know, shooting at him. Uh, you know, he's putting his his mom in danger, his uncle's telling him, you know, stay away from this. This isn't, this ain't, you know, going to be good for you, all this stuff. And yet, and still he's keeps going. He's, you know, he's had some second thoughts, but he keeps going and he's really, you know, pursuing, you know, to the extreme, like we were talking about earlier, he, he shows up in the Mexican neighborhood by himself, which is crazy. Uh, but that's how, again, it just shows how much, how driven he is, to want to make this work. So my question was like, why? What is it about him, or in your case, you, you know, that well, I, keeps I, my, that? My, 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 uh, my, my beginning wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody beat me up. Um, the worst thing happened to me is, is, is my guy Martin beat me out of my first pack. Um, and that that was normal in in the cocaine business, you know, at, especially at the small level, because we, what you realize is that everybody you're dealing with is users. Most of the people that you're dealing with are users, so they're gonna be figuring out a way how to get some coke out of your pack to put in their nose on their pipe. So uh, <clears throat> my my drive didn't go through what he went through. You know, I never got beat up. Nobody never shot at me. Um, I didn't have to shoot at anybody, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that, that it wasn't that hard. What, 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 what they got him going through is, is some of the things of, is to me is out of, out of ignorance, you know, out of, out of naive, you know, I would never just walk around with cocaine, you know, when, 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 when I had cocaine, I had a Pacific place. It was going, you know, it was already designated to a place, uh, um, I guess that I guess you could call that a plan in a sense, you know, because I, I just didn't move around with cocaine in my car. You know, that was that was for us. That was a no, no, because we understood in L.A., you know, you might just be riding down the street and the cops see you and decide to pull you over. Right. So so you would never just open yourself up for those type of opportunities. You don't get a cops those kind of opportunities, you know, that that you got something in the car and they pull you over and they just get it, you know, they get what we call a freebie. 
So, so how, how would, when you think back about it, how would you describe your motivation in those first few years? Like what, what, what was it that was driving you to keep pursuing this? And then well, well, go ahead. I got one more question. I'll follow well, up after well, the answer. Well, mine was driven by wanting to be out of poverty. I didn't like being poor. I didn't like going to the store with food stamps. You know, when my mama used to send me to the store with food stamps, I would hide in the store until all my friends was gone before I would go up to the counter and pay because I didn't like being on welfare. I hated being on welfare. Uh, I hated being poor. I hated not having. I hated my, my siblings not being able to have the things that they want. So mine was driven more out of uh, uh, running from poverty, I would say. And, and I was willing to put it all on line for that. But not just not just in the cocaine business. I, I did the same thing in the car when, you know, when I stole cars, you know, uh, I can remember uh, when I was writing my book. And, and one night I woke up in, in, in my bed cell and I was just like, like totally. Like sweating and everything. And 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 it was this scene that I went through and uh I was a little guy, so when I started stealing cars with these guys, I did all the dirty work, especially the dirty work that it took a little guy to do. So one night we're we're still in this car, and the car was right up under the person's window who car was, and their window was open. So what we had to do is we had to door lock the door, you know, open the door up, take the back seat out, and then I had to crawl through the back seat to open the trunk up. And... Uh, this night that I had the dream, I woke up and I opened the trunk and it wasn't my friend standing there. It was the owner of the car standing there with a gun in my face. So uh, I had been taking those type of chances already. Uh, uh, matter of fact, I've probably been taking worse chances stealing cars than I was even in, in the coke game. Hmm. Now, but then I knew, you know, I knew you don't go to East L.A. uninvited, <laughs> trying to sell no dope to no Mexicans. You just right. don't do that, you know, because right. that, that, it's been this rival between blacks and Mexicans since since I can remember, you know, um, even we played tennis one time. I remember we played tennis and uh, we had caught the bus to Griffin Park to a tournament, me and about three of our friends. And uh, we, we stayed at the tournament too late. The buses wasn't running no more. So we had to walk home and from our walk home we had to go through a Mexican neighborhood and they saw us and about 20 guys chased us. Lucky we was tennis players and in great shape. <laughs> Otherwise <laughs> I, I might've got that beat down that, uh, that we've seen Franklin just about. Oh, wow. So, so, uh, you know, being from LA, you know, that those are no, that's a no, no. Okay. So another part of it that I think is interesting to talk about and think about is, and I, this might have been last episode, but there's a part where Franklin is is talking to his uncle Jerome about things. And he's like, you know, says something about how, look, you know, the system is fixed against us and, you know, it's all corrupt, that type of thing. Um, and so th- where does that fit into things at this, you know, at this stage when you're getting into it, like, how much of, of your motivation, you know, we we know it's to make money and break the poverty cycle, but where does that fit in? Were there, were there ever thoughts of like, you know, man, you know, the whole 
system is rigged against us. So, you know, I got to do what I got to do to survive. Well, I, I, I can't necessarily say that I, I felt that the system was rigged against me. Uh, I had some disabilities that uh, stopped me from being able to function in the system. You know, even though even though I probably would have been a great worker for whoever hired me. But my inability to fill out an application made me unemployable. So, uh, 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 and I knew that those were things that that were against me, and and probably my size too, because I was I still was a little guy when 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 uh when I first started selling you know selling drugs, um, I've always kind of been small you know uh, in in high school and everything, uh, but it was a job that my brothers took that they say that I was too small to take. You know, they, they were working at a, at a, at a metal factory uh, and I wanted to work there as well, but they said that I was too small to, uh, uh, to take the job. The job was too strenuous for somebody my size. So, hmm. but, but for the most part, uh, my, my inability to read and write is what made me uh, 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 kind of like, where I almost had to go to something illegal to, 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 um, to exercise my skills to show my ability to handle money, uh, my ability to organize, uh, my ability to be honest uh, to myself. Even though even though I stole cars, you know, I always tried to be fair with the people uh, that, that I was still in the cars with. You know, I never wanted to, to beat them out of their cut uh, or anything like that there. So uh, it's like when... Uh, 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 when the guys that I started stealing cars with Dirty Benny, he goes to jail. Him and Jake both goes to jail, uh, um, you know, early on. And I took all their connections that they had and I started making money with them. So when they got out of jail, you know, I looked out for them. So Franklin's determination to, you know, succeed leads him to go to his uncle and ask for some more help and ask, uh, you know, for a connection. And so Uncle Jerome and Aunt Louie decide, you know, we're going to introduce him to, to Knees uh, is his name. And they take him to see old old, old man Knees, uh, who is a new character played by uh, the actor Bokeem Woodbine. And mm-hmm. I wanted to talk talk about Bokeem because, you know, he's been a a staple in, in the hip hop culture, you know, for almost 30 years now. Um, been in so many, you know, movies and so much, you know, connected to the hip hop culture over the years. Um, he got his start um, actually as like a extra in the movie Juice with Tupac back in 92. And then he, he got one of his first major roles in Jason's Lyric. Uh, he was in Dead Presidents and Crooklyn and uh, he became friends with Tupac Um you might remember he was in the I Ain't Mad At Your Video uh, with Tupac. Um, and I think he actually acted in the last movie. Tupac was in Gridlocked um, as well. They were, were, were working together on that. So, um, yeah, man, it was good to see him. He plays this, you know, this, this old guy that um, Franklin is trying to get him to give him information on, on a connection to the Mexicans. Um Ooh. Well, you know, first and, they took him over there to, to 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 discourage him from selling cocaine. Well, yeah, that's true. Remember, that was the initial the initial introduction was was his uncle, 
uh, uh, it was kind of funny. I had, you know, how his uncle introduced him and, and was talking to him, you know, it, it just, yeah, you know, it didn't seem, uh, 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 real, you know, the way, the way the conversation was going. Uh, but anyway, you know, he talked about, uh, them killing his friend in front of him and the bullet going through his friend and hitting him in the nut. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and that's how the whole conversation started. And, and what I was wondering now, they didn't really clarify it. What are they talking about? The same Mexicans that, 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 that these are the same people that, that he introduced, uh, where he gives, uh, Franklin a number to. Yeah. The, well, when he goes later on to that neighborhood, that's the address that, um, that knees gave him right yeah so he would go he would go and talk to a guy i mean some guys who just killed uh um right. <laughs> one <laughs> of his guys yeah well i guess yeah yeah, yeah. it just seems yeah, crazy uh, you know in the, in the yeah, real yeah. drug world you 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 just don't do stuff like that yeah, he was. They were definitely trying to discourage him, but in the end, you know, he gave up the info for for a thousand dollars to Franklin. But he he also was telling an interesting story. I wanted to touch on real quick, where he he goes into this thing, talking, telling Franklin how you know we didn't used to have gangs back in the day. It started as as clubs to protect the community in the fifties from I think he called them um, the spook hunters, which were I guess you know white white folks that were coming into the black neighborhoods and, and committing, you know, violence and crimes. And uh, so he talked about how that's how, you know, there weren't gangs. And then he said, he talks about the sixties, which we talked about last week and kind of the, the movement with the black Panthers and uh, you know, how, how the communities and black folks were getting organized and, Franklin interjects, yeah, I know about all that. The FBI came in and messed everything up. So basically he was saying that like the FBI's interference, the COINTELPRO stuff with the black power movements of the 60s um, is what led to the emergence of violent street gangs. Um, so I thought that was interesting. wanted to see what, what your take was on that. Well, you know... Uh, uh... I, I, I've been looking into that for a while, um, and and it just so happens that that I got three partners that just got out of jail doing like thirty five, forty five. I mean, crazy numbers, you know. Uh, 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 Crips, original Crips, guys who ran with Tookie and 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 uh, Raymond Washington. Uh, I'm talking about real guys, not 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 guys who 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 say they. Crips and 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 these guys got the rap sheets and the police reports and everything to, to show the document where where they've been with it. Uh, but I definitely want to uh, um, figure out how did it all take place. You know what what really happened? Where did it go wrong? Where did it get twisted? Because um, I do know you you know I, I remember when the Black Panthers I, I saw the Black Panthers march in L.A. I was young you know maybe five six years old but. I can remember the days the Black Panthers marched through L.A. And, you know, I remember when Watts was on fire. You know, I actually saw that me and my mom, we were standing Watts at the time. Uh, so so I ex experienced a lot of that. Um, did the FBI penetrate them? I'm sure they did. But to what extent and to where um, it turned from us trying to protect our neighborhoods to us destroying our neighborhoods, 
that's a question that I want to figure out. All right. Well, that's a, another breakbeat media exclusive uh, coming up <laughs> that we got we got to start working on. You know, because you know we got our uh, kind of documentary uh, podcast that we're doing, investigative and and documentary stuff. Um, we haven't released anything yet, but um, the first one is the unsigned hype story. Uh, which tells the whole backstory of of that column from the Source magazine, eight episodes that'll be out starting uh, in late July. Um, And then we got the Larry Hoover story we've talked about. We're we're working on that and um, getting close to to getting that finished up and putting that out uh, towards the uh, end of the summer. So Larry Hoover, that one is going to be true. Yeah. Fire. Yeah, I still need to catch up with a couple of your people uh, that we talked about so we can, uh, you know, get them into the into the podcast conversation. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But no doubt. Um, no doubt. And, yeah. and another thing that that that, that uh, I, I, they stole, they stole this from me. Uh, um, you know, when I first started, but they, they flipped it in the, in, in the show, they flipped it. When I first started, yeah. all the guys were telling me that I couldn't sell cocaine in the hood. You know, they were like, ain't nobody over here got money to buy cocaine. You know, you know, back right. then, a gram of cocaine was like $150, I mean, $350 for one gram. I wow. mean, it was like really, really expensive. So in 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 the show, you know, uh, uh, Unc, he tell Franklin, he say, well, the only safe place to sell it is in the hood, just like I do with my weed. <laughs> so right. they kind of flipped right. it a little bit. You know, twisted it around a little bit. Uh, uh, I was like, man, they got that from me, right? Because I, th- but I think he actually said after that that you know, but they don't have the money for it. Which what you you're saying the same same message yeah. you kind of you kind of got that it wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, and that's what everybody, all the guys who were selling PCP, that's what they were telling me. You know, even though they were smoking cocaine, while they would tell me, oh man, it ain't gonna work. And then they start, they smoking cocaine, so. Because, uh, you know, that's what that's what I did. I fed off the PCP sellers for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, like every time they make a hundred bucks, they come spend 20 with me, you know, mm. to, get, to get high. So so they could stay out there. long. Oh, I'm just hitting so I can stay up tonight. You know, I'm, hey. I'm going to stay out here a little longer tonight. So I'm, I'm going to take me a little blast. Uh, OK, they could afford it. They would shoot one of the people that could afford it. They could afford it. It was only at that time. It was only a few people, you know, the pimps, the pimps could afford it. The PCP sellers could afford it. The weed dealers could afford it. So at that time, those were my main customers until later on, you start getting some entertainers, you know, a few lawyers, a few doctors, um, and then people who had really good jobs, you know, like post office workers. And, 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 and I could gradually see how as the price came down, more and more lower income people had started to get involved. Yeah. But you know, go ahead. No, go ahead, Rick. But you know, most of the people who got involved, they didn't get involved to use. They got involved to make some money. Even, even, even with Franklin guys, if you, if we remembered, they really right now they're really thinking about making the money. They really want the money, but they're also curious about what the high is like. Right. You remember that? That's their curiosity. Well, what is it like? How are you going to sell it if you don't know what you're selling? You know right. what I'm saying? And this is the stuff that turns people into, into addicts because uh, they go into it to make the money, you know, because everybody needs a little extra money. You know, everybody do. 
But they started to sample with, just like I did when I first tried it. I started to sample with it just to see, you know, all my guys is telling me how good it is. And, you know, so then once you sampled it, you know, and, and a lot of people, if you're not really strong, you're going to be gone. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, you're talking about kind of the way you had to build your business in the beginning. Um, and that's what we're seeing kind of in this episode where um, everybody's trying to figure out how they can unload this product. You know, all of a sudden, this guy, Alejandro, I guess has popped up working with the CIA and he's flooding, you know, cocaine into LA or making it available in mass quantities at, you know, I guess, you know, discount prices. So you got people like Franklin and Lucia and also everybody's chasing this opportunity, but um, they're all trying to find how are we going to move this stuff? And all roads end up leading to Stomper, the head of the Mexican gang. Um, they call them Los Monarchas in the TV show. I'm pretty sure that's just a name they made up. But um, so it it's basically presented that the Mexicans really had and the cartels really had the cocaine game locked down and that, you know, there wasn't opportunities if you didn't go through the Mexicans. So I, I wanted to hear your, your thoughts about, about that and your experience with that as well. Well, not in the, not in the, not in the eighties. No, uh, blacks had the cocaine locked up. I mean, everybody was coming to South central, you know, getting, I mean, we have people coming from all around the country, you know, coming mm -hmm. to South central to cop, you know, uh, mm -hmm. most of the guys that we hear about on TV and, you know, the news, you know, started right in LA. It's amazing how, um, you know, I say that, that cocaine have legs. It travels, you know, from L.A. to Chicago, from Chicago to Minnesota to Milwaukee. You know, it, it, it just has a way to travel. But in the 80s, it was definitely the blacks. It was only after the feds rounded up all of the players, you know, uh, um, that 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 the, the Hispanics started to take over. So that, that's the interesting. Colombians, the Colombians was coming straight to, to L.A. You know, they was coming straight to L.A. with it. And, and the Nicaraguans, the Nicaraguans really kicked it off. But then once the Nicaraguans got it started and the market was there, then the Colombians, you know, I guess they just heard about it and they start coming directly to L.A. And that's how some of the other guys who, who, who came up, you know, got their connections because the Colombians was running around L.A. looking for looking for customers. Uh, but, you know, after uh, after we all went to jail, uh, they started dealing with gangbangers and, you know, guys started robbing them, taking all the cocaine. You know, you know, when we was in jail. We we're hearing about people, you know, taking 300 keys from 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 the Colombians. So that's interesting now that we're talking about it in this way and perspective, like, you know, the show is making it seem like the Mexicans were the kind of people, you know, that were really funneling the cocaine and controlling the cocaine. But you're saying that isn't true. And and kind of what that does in the TV show is sort of diminish the facts and the realities around the government's plan to push cocaine into all the black neighborhoods. Even what you were just saying, people from all over the country were coming to South Central to cop the cocaine and all this activity was centered around black inner city, black communities 
and the government was sitting at the top here kind of pushing the button to allow all that to happen um at least that's you know what many people believe and there's a lot of you know facts uh to support that so it's interesting that the tv show in this way is kind of deflecting the attention from from that narrative well you know like 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 we said uh uh previously um these people didn't live in LA, you know, they didn't have the real players. Uh, they don't have, they don't have guys who really lived in this life, you know, was in the circle, you know, uh, 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 assisting them. You know, they have people who was around, uh, uh, was about, but nobody who really was inside, you know, shaking and baking and really helping them. And, and yeah. that's why, they would allow. And then I guess, too, you know, they don't really care about the truth. You know, it don't have to be truthful. It just has to be captivating, you know, where where the audience will go. Wow. You know, uh, uh, because if, if it was, you know, I mean. If it was a, a righteous story, they would be looking for the black players in the you know, in the game, you know, uh, uh, the Harry O's, the Bo Bennett's, the Young Tommy's, the, the Freeway Rick's. Uh, the big Ted's, you know, there was a lot of guys that 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 carried a lot of weight in in LA, right? And that I don't want to give away too much, but that's kind of the thing you've talked about before of how you could do a different type of a, a series um, that would be more focused around, you know, those guys and that whole scene and and the reality in that era than what we're seeing on here, because you know, as much as I give credit to the show for putting light on some of these realities i always still in the back of my mind i'm i'm feeling like well somebody's got to come in coming in there and adjusting the narratives a little bit you know to try not to push it too far or or like i said you know diminish you know this part of of, of the story um you know that there's somebody that's guiding that behind the scenes you know well you know Dave, one of my problems with hollywood is that they never tell true black stories, you know, true. And that's why it's taken me so long with my movie to, to get it out because, you know, I want a true black story. You know, I want it to be told just like it was. Uh, they don't like to show us in, in, in a smart light, you know, even though, you know, I was illiterate, I couldn't read, I couldn't write, you know, I did a lot of things that was smart, you know, in, inside of my, inside of my coke dealing. Um, Things that, you know, if it would have went the wrong way, you know, I could never get out of prison. You know, it, it was times that, you know, my guys, because, you know, some of my guys were, were, were gangbangers. You know, they had a gangbanger mentality. And the first thing they want to do is go kill everybody, you know. And I had to be smart enough and strong enough to stand up to them and be like, hold up. Let's let's weigh this thing out. Let's look at this whole scenario. And with, without those things. Uh, 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 being in place, you know, who knows where me and 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 most of my crew would be at right now today. Yeah, and and I think that those are the things that 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 people want to see. You know, people want true reality. You know, uh, and and I just you know I just don't see that inside of uh, uh, you know like with the guys that robbed that robbed Franklin. You know, they sitting on the street trying to rob him. The cops would, if that would have been a cop and he saw those guys there, he would have took them out the car. Hmm. You know, he'd have called back up. They'd have right. been stretched out on the street. 
You know what I'm saying? They'd have found a gun. Uh, it just, just that's not that's not real to, to see a cop who's suspecting somebody of doing something and, and, and not taking action, especially in L.A. L.A., it, it didn't go down like that. I mean, even if it was a black cop, he still would have had you stretched out on the ground because um, I guess what the black cops used to do, it, it was this cop named J.C. Miller, and he worked on the Freeway Rick Ross task force. You know, they put this this task force together to catch me because they couldn't figure out who I was or how I was getting away with it. You know, um, this guy would be the one who beat everybody up. Right. He would be the one hitting you in the head with the flashlight, you know, uh, I guess to appease his 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 uh his peers and, and let them know that he was one of the guys, you know, and he was dedicated to the cause. Yeah, well, that's that's another interesting point that supports kind of what I was just saying, like that there's there's parts of the narrative that aren't being told correctly that are super important, like the way so far we've seen the police depicted, you're saying it just it isn't real. And then they're taking, again, a little bit of the, the focus off of, you know, the brutality, the, the, you know, illegal nature of what, you know, the LAPD and officers have been involved in for, for, for so long. And, and especially back then, um, you know, that's not really being highlighted prominently as it could be um, in this early stage of, of, of the snowfall, you know, story. Yes. And that's what that's what I was trying to say, that, that they just not putting it there. And, and, you know, they could have, you know, and they should have. I mean, yeah. if you don't tell it because people people know that this is a real story. You know, they know that parts of this is real, yeah. but they can't figure out what's real and what's not real. Right. Right. And that's well, why we here. And that's why we here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know what I was about to say. I don't want to say, you know, keep saying the same thing, but that's what why we're here. That's what Breakbeat is about. It's about creating a platform that's going to bring people the, the, the real information, the truth, the authentic stories, um, you know, not sugarcoating it, not having an agenda uh, to, you know, cut out certain parts of it, but you know, bring it to you real and raw. And, and I think that's what people really want at the end of the day. Um, you know, despite the way this world is heading with social media and all the kind of shenanigans that go on in, in social media, I think, you know, authenticity, if it's true authenticity is really uh, valued. And uh, that's, you know, that's what Breakbeat is about being authentically hip hop. So, um, you know, I'm really proud to have you as part of the Breakbeat family, Rick. And, uh, you know, definitely want to keep this show going and keep doing more things together. And hopefully our our uh, listeners and viewers out there, uh, you know, can feel us and relate to, you know, what we're doing and what we're trying to do. I think they are. You know, when, when I go out to the events, you know, I'll I, I be shocked. People come up and say, man, I watch After the Snow every time, you know, every episode. So, uh you know, I didn't really know, you know, uh, how it was going to work out when, when, when you approached me about doing this show. Uh, but now, you know, I, I, I'm getting more into it. I'm starting to feel it. Uh, I'm excited about doing it. Um, and, and I, I think it's going to be a great thing for people, not, not, not just, uh, um, for us, but for people to really see how Hollywood will take 
a story or or an event and twist it to their narrative and and not give it to the people the way that it should be given to them. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we can uh, wrap up this week's episode. And and uh, again, thank everyone. Uh, I'm I'm your co-host Dave Mays, and this is After the Snow. We're part of the Breakbeat uh, Podcast Network, and um, we come to you every week. We talk about uh, an episode of the TV show Snowfall. This week we're uh, we just did season one, episode six. So we'll be back next week with episode seven. And uh, who knows where we'll be next week when we do do the show. I'm in Chicago today. Rick's in Atlanta. But things are a lot of movement for, for both of us these days. Yes, yes, yes. I'm on my way to St. Louis, too. St. Louis, stand up. I'll be there this weekend. Um, come yes. check me out. Boxing matches. Um, yeah, man. It, it's just been a wonderful day. And, and we're just going to keep pushing this thing, man, and, 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 yeah. and see where it goes. I know that Sooner or later, they're going to catch on to what we're doing and they're going to appreciate what we're doing, man, because they we need somebody out here with the truth, man. They, there's too much That's falsehood right. and too much faking and shaking out here, man. We need That's the real. Right. That's right. All right. Well, on that note, we'll see y'all next week. Peace out. Peace.